Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on gap-filling, when government and governing institutions fail. We're talking with community leaders about how nonprofit and advocacy organizations and local grassroots groups are doing the work for community when the government can't or won't. And new to this episode, uh, we're excited to share that our, for our listeners that we are officially on Patreon. You can find us by heading over to patreon.com backslash growingdemocracyoh. It's uh, it's exciting. This is a good episode to talk about Patreon because we're talking about social enterprises, and I feel like maybe I feel like we're a social enterprise, right? Although we're technically not a formal organization, but we're trying to fill some gaps and introduce uh, folks to exciting and and new things going on when it comes to uh, government and civic engagement and political engagement. So. Mm-hmm. And figuring out ways to define these ideas and, right. and, and working with communities to do that. I, I think that a robust uh, democracy is a social issue uh, that is really important to address. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. We'll, we'll, ask, our, uh, we'll ask to be on the directory. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's uh, also probably useful to, to tell folks uh, uh, what, what it costs to produce an episode. Yeah, so um, we've broken it down based on our current, what we, we currently pay for our recording platform, for our platform, uh, our SoundCloud is where we host, um, is where, where it holds the, the original podcast, as well as sound editing, producing, and it is $143 per episode for us to put this out there. Um, so it's a little over $7,000 a year if we continue at the pace of one episode a week, recognizing that we'll probably have uh, two or three breaks. Right. And I think we've, uh, we enjoy doing this, but we think we have listeners that also enjoy listening to it. So hopefully if you, if you enjoy the podcast, if you're a fan, uh, you'll head on over to our Patreon site, uh, growing democracy OH and give it a look. See if you can, uh, Support us with a few dollars a month and continue this awesome podcast that we're hosting. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I like about it, too, is that programs like Patreon or other kind of small scale donation funding mechanisms um, is that it really can be funded by the people who are engaged in listening and participating. It really is like kind of that grassroots kind of connection that we we emphasize so often. The nice thing about uh, patrons that our patrons actually are opened up to uh, live chats with us. So, you know, we, we can share ahead of time some of the questions that we're going to be having, some of the guests that we're going to be hosting. They can give us ideas for questions. They can give us ideas for guests and we'll, you know, do our, our darndest to get somebody on the show that is of interest to folks. Um, but that this is, we do, we do feel like it's uh, a good opportunity for us to kind of co-create uh, what, what the podcast looks like going forward with the people that uh, already are kind of committed to, uh, to, to listening and to learning about uh, growing democracy. Yeah. And I, I just one last plug about Patreon um, and then we can talk a little bit more about our amazing guest. 
and that we also recognize that there's different levels. So we want it to be inclusive and we want people to be connected. Right. So I think, um, Casey, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's, uh, $3, $3 a month is our, our basic. And then $30 a month for our super invested people that <laughs> have the capacity, um, and the resources to be able to do that. Our, our entourage level. I, yeah. I, I called it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got, we've got $3 a month, $12 a month and $30 a month. And, and if you're at the entourage level, then you get some swag. I'm not going to lie. Uh, designed by a good friend of the show uh, who uh, will go nameless unless she wants to go named. She'll let me know later. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody, we want everybody to be able to participate. So, you know, give, give it a look and, and see if you can, come on board our Patreon. Now, today, we are talking to the wonderful Dr. Weaver about social enterprise. And I, as, I, as she was talking, I kept it kept coming up for me, something that we had talked about with another guest, which was like this bottom-up approach about people that are doing the work should know what work will benefit those that they're looking to help because they've been there before. Yeah. Right? As opposed to this top-down uh, hierarchical uh, uh, demand to, I don't know, pull up your bootstraps. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of those ways that I think that talking with Dr. Weaver really challenged me to think about social entrepreneurship very much as a grassroots way of addressing social needs using the skills and talents that you bring to the fore, right? Like, what is it that you have lived experience and you have deep knowledge and you want to, who's to say that? you can't address social needs and also create some sort of business, right? Yeah. Sell yeah. <laughs> and sell brownies, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and then it's a really, it's a really great, great way of kind of pairing these um, often kind of in the discourse or in the way that we talk about the world, seemingly different things. If you have a business, you're purely for profit and it's for harm. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to be, doing social good, then it's obvious that you would be doing social services through a more nonprofit model, but that there are, there are mechanisms, especially at the, the grassroots and the community level to kind of pair these ideas. I mean, one of the things I like about this, right, is it's, it's having your cake and eating it too, right? Like You're quite literally. To, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> quite literally. In fact, so literally, I'm going to plug Edwin's Bakery here for our listeners that are in Northeast Ohio. Edwin's Bakery is, is attached to Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute, uh, and they give formerly incarcerated adults a foundation in the culinary and hospitality industry and provide support uh, network necessary for their long-term success. So if you're in Northeast Ohio, we, Ohio, head on over to Edwin's. You'll love it, I promise. I love it. Well, with that, um, uh, let's uh, turn it on over to our guest. We're super excited to have with us today, Dr. Rashida Weaver. Dr. Rashida Weaver is the first assistant professor for the Heinz Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Iona College. Her research explores the use of social enterprise and entrepreneurship as a human and community economic development tool. 
She conducted the first large-scale empirical study on the social, economic, and legal activities of social enterprises in the United States and is the creator of Weaver's Social Enterprise Directory, a national public directory for social enterprises in the nation. Welcome. So glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. So, Dr. Weaver, now, can you tell us, obviously, we just heard some of your bio. So I I think our listeners probably go, well, you just told us about yourself, but there's so much more to you than what your bio is. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So um, I'm originally from the Bronx, New York, uh, but my family is from um, uh, Jamaica. I'm half Jamaican and half Cuban. And so um, I grew up in an immigrant household um, in the Bronx, in an immigrant community. And I feel that um, it just plays a large part in the way I view the world and the work that I do today. Um, And so I grew up in like a poor neighborhood in the Bronx. And I always wanted to, I don't know, I just became like a little bit obsessed with (laughs) trying to address poverty. And uh, which is like not normal for like a six-year-old, but... (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, the world doesn't have to be this way. And um, my parents always told me that the whole reason I was born in America is so that we can, you know, accomplish our dreams and that I could do absolutely anything in the world. So I come from that kind of perspective in my thinking. Um, and I, and I say that because it'll make sense when we start talking more about what I do today. And so, um, just, you know, growing up in the Bronx, seeing uh, a lot of poverty and that my dream in life was to uh, build a community research center. <laughs> I'm like, this is like a weird dream for a kid. Build a community research center that studied poverty in my community and the implications of it, and then develop services that address the problems in the community. And then as I got older and um, started to learn about social entrepreneurship, I decided at some point that it was much wiser, like for me and my skills, my talents, my gifts. And I believe every person has unique talents and gifts that enable them to really, that can enable them to like really prosper in the world if they know that they exist. Um, And so I just, my skills are better attuned to inspiring and educating and equipping other people with the tools to do what I wanted to do. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I love that answer too, right? Because it's rooted in your history. And also you were six and wanted to um, solve poverty. So I'm 100% like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> weird. <laughs> so you're a leading expert on the use of social enterprise and entrepreneurship. Can you help us make sense of these terms? Like, what is social enterprise? What does this yeah. mean? Yeah, so social enterprises are organizations that intentionally aim to address social problems. And so they can be for-profit businesses, nonprofit organizations, and sometimes they're actually a combination of both. So for example, Newman's Own is a very popular social enterprise in the United States, although most people don't know it's a social enterprise, they don't know the term, but they have a for-profit business and the Newman's Own Foundation, which is a nonprofit, and they actually, um, all of their profits from their for-profit business gets donated to the charities through their nonprofit organization. So that's like a great example of social enterprise. So now a lot of times uh, social enterprise is kind of used pertaining to, right, nonprofits, uh, using like market principles to help achieve their mission. But it can also be used to describe for-profit, sometimes pretty large corporations, incorporating social awareness into what is, I, I mean, realistically their business model. Can you give us some examples of corporations preferencing social enterprise to uh, better society over kind of trying to maximize profits? Yeah. So 
Actually, one of my favorites is Grayston Bakery, and they're based in Yonkers, New York. And, and that's a large, nationally recognized company. And if you eat Ben & Jerry's ice cream, they actually have the brownies. That's from Grayston Bakery. I'm like, that's one of my favorites. I love their brownies. But their motto is, we don't hire people to bake brownies. We bake brownies so that we can hire people. And so they're for-profit business, but um, they have an open hiring policy, meaning they don't ask for a resume. There are no job interviews. There are no uh, discrimination against people that have been formerly incarcerated or that maybe they don't have documents proving that they're a citizen. The whole goal, the whole reason for their existence is to address poverty. And so basically they, you come in, you don't have a job. They ask no questions. They put your name on a list. And when a job is open, they give it to you. I'm just wondering, do you have a, like a list of your favorite social enterprises that are for-profit corporations? Yeah. Or, so, yeah. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> so my website, socialenterprisedirectory.com, has over a thousand social enterprises provided there throughout the United States. Um, and you can literally go to all of their websites, find out their legal structure. So there's nonprofits, for-profits, benefit corporations, L3Cs. There's a, they're all a variety of them, over a thousand. And addressing a variety of issues also. I love that. So uh, th- th- I also want to jump in because you yeah. said this uh, about the directory. How did you build this? Oh, God. Like, I, I know I wasn't <laughs> planning on asking this question, but like, seriously, like that's that significant. Took so much work. <laughs> so that directory, so I did it for my dissertation and, and it, it was actually an accident. And so, you know, sometimes the most beautiful things just come out of nowhere. And so I going back to like the childhood and wanting to like, you know, address poverty. So I'm trying to study social enterprises and trying to find more information on them. Couldn't find it. So I ended up doing my dissertation. I always knew I was going to get a PhD. And so I ended up doing my dissertation on basically just trying to figure out as much information about social enterprises as possible. And so I literally, I reached out to local government organizations to find social enterprises that were incorporated under like different kinds of legal structure. Um, I went to like national membership associations for social enterprises and basically collected information over 3000 social enterprises. And then I chose um, to only incorporate um, social enterprises in my dissertation study that had email addresses because that's how I was going to connect with them. And so it ended up dwindling down to um, over a thousand, which is still a lot. And then I had all this information. I said, well, why don't I just make this public and, um, and share, share the knowledge, share the wealth, and then ended up creating a directory. Do you see that, that there's a pattern in kind of what business types or uh, individuals that start businesses that kind of lean towards, uh, you know, creating businesses that are engaged in a social in a social enterprise structure. Yeah. So there's a huge pattern. Um, this pattern where it's usually people that have either been through a particular social problem or they've witnessed others that they're close to, or they've just seen the implications of a particular social problem on people and it just really affected them. So um, it could even going back to like my story, me witnessing poverty and then wanting to solve it because I saw the negative effects. But a lot of social entrepreneurs are people um, that maybe they start a, a, a business that relates to human trafficking, but maybe they've seen that. They've seen the, the consequences of human trafficking in their own lives. And so I looked at social enterprise for my research um, after studying over a thousand of them as almost like a form of civic engagement. It's, it's like, well, people feel that, you know, there are particular problems that exist and nobody came to help them right? The government's not helping them. 
their family doesn't have the resources to help them. The community isn't doing enough. And so I'm going to take it upon myself to be the change that I want to see in the community. And so all of the social enterprises, what they have in common is that there there's one overarching um, problem, whether it's hunger, poverty, unemployment, um, homelessness, climate change is an overarching problem they're trying to address. And it's because they often feel that nobody else is addressing it adequately. Yeah. I mean, that fits perfectly in with my next question, which is really in line with the theme of this series. So the, the theme of this series is gap filling. Um, and so this was actually inspired by one of our kind of leadership collective um, members who was just like, let's have conversations around groups or individuals who are filling the gaps left by when government can't or won't or fails to address problems or provide public services, right? Whatever that might be. Like, what are, how do we make sense of these groups? And in many ways, I feel like the way that you're describing social enterprises is that they are kind of a mechanism for gap filling. How, how do you see that? Like, what is that? In what ways are they doing that work? Is this, is this, Right, like an ind- one individual that is trying to address a social problem kind of with this this kind of institutional form, or do you see it kind of as even, you know, even more than that? It's usually so most social enterprises are small organizations, so um, run by, you know, one person, maybe two, but often even having like less than five um, employees, Um, some of them, but the ones that are older, of course, have more employees. And so many of them are new, have just been developed within the last 10 years. Um, And it's growing. It's a growing field. And um, actually, what's the rest of your question? (laughs) So I just, I'm really curious about how, how we might think about social enterprises as filling these gaps, right? Oh, yeah. Is it right? Cause in some ways I feel like it's really small scale, like individuals yeah. addressing a social need locally, but I mean, they're taking on big issues, right? Like, so the way that you're talking about it, it's poverty, it's homelessness, it's climate change, right? So how do you see kind mm-hmm. of social enterprise kind of fit in that, in that space? Yeah. So I really view social enterprises as like an intervention. So it's like, here are all these problems out in the world and we're going to develop an organization. And a lot of times I don't want to say business because it's really an organization. They could be nonprofit, but they are using entrepreneurial strategies. They're using revenue generation um, to sustain themselves. And so they use that model to continuously address problems and then um, creating some kind of positive social change. So it's like, well, if the issue is homelessness, for example, uh, maybe creating um, housing um, services like a, a, a homeless shelter, but then also providing so, um, social workers in there to help them deal with whatever mental challenges they may have as a result of the homelessness or provide food or provide a lot of different services. And so there's always, they're basically an, an intervention for a social problem. And so that, in, in that sense, filling the gaps. Now, you're also working on a book that aims to really serve as the handbook for how social enterprises can kind of be designed, not, not, yes, to provide some social good, but also to maintain economic stability. And your current research really examines these 
these strategies that social enterprises can employ uh, to foster stability, especially in yeah. times of crisis, like what we're going through now, right? Yeah. <laughs> can you talk to us about how, uh, how can social enterprise be used concerning some of the crisis that we face today, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the, you know, c- kind of parallel economic crisis that we're in, but also the racial uprisings that are happening yeah. uh, in, in the Black Lives Movement uh, that's, that's grown kind of, yeah. I think, people would agree exponentially over the past year? Yeah, great question. Great question. Um, and there's almost like two questions, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the book, I'm currently writing, finishing that up. Oh my God, every day. <laughs> I'm writing everything on this book. That book is um, entitled Using Entrepreneurship to Create Positive Social Change. And so the goal of that is to, what I really want to call the book, and, and we'll see what the publisher says, Uh, I want to call it how to make money and do well too, like do good for your community too, because that's really the theme of the book. It's, we all have some kind of social issue that we all connect with. And, and I think sometimes people don't want to admit that, but it's like, for some people it's race, for some people it's hunger, for some people it's gender issues. And a lot of times we care about all the problems, of course, but some, some of them just hit us to our core. And the book is about what do you do? How do you use your gifts, your skills, your talents to address that problem? Almost in the same way, um, like what I mentioned, Grace and Bakery. So somebody in that company was really good at making brownies and they decided, well, I hate poverty, so I'm going to make some brownies, use that money to solve poverty. And so um, that's what the book is about. Now, when it comes to COVID, I'm doing some um, in March, 2020, just as like, you know, we started shutting down, I started studying the impact of COVID on the social enterprise sector. Um, and that sort of leaned into what I was already doing. Cause I've been studying finance just as a person individually. And I knew that a recession was coming because I've been studying finance and, you know, there's always a cycle in community development. And so I was planning on studying how social enterprises can survive times of recession anyway. And then the pandemic hit, and I don't know, our whole world just got flipped side, <laughs> upside down. And so some of the ways in which I've seen social enterprises address or manage and um, thrive during COVID is one through customer discovery, right? So the one of the main things with a social enterprise um, and why it differs from a nonprofit organization in a traditional business is that they want to continuously address a problem, not just be reliant on donations or philanthropic funding, like through grants and things like that. They want to continuously be able to do that. So cause, so identifying customers is a huge component of that. Um, cause you can't continuously address these pressing societal issues that often they are exacerbated in certain periods of times, but they often don't go away. Right. So pandemics may come again. I mean, this is what we're, we're hearing in the, um, in the news racism, unfortunately has been around for a while. Recessions come again. Like, you know, like I was studying that it's going to 2007 and here we are again, um, regardless of the reason for the recession, they do come back. And so how do social enterprises sustain themselves during what I call these winters, essentially, because like winter always comes back. And so um, one of the ways in which I've seen um, for the recession in particular is like collective giving. And so um, there are organizations that 
will literally reach out to their communities and say, well, can you pitch in X amount of dollars? I'm working with the organization right now, Impact 100 Westchester. They're working with my class to find new customers and more diverse customer um, group. And one of the things they do is they have women in Westchester donate um, $1,000, I think it's $1,100, $1,100 to the organization. And through pooling all that money together, they've been able to give millions of dollars in grants for nonprofit organizations to keep doing what they do. Um, and so that's one example. Um, when it comes to like um, racism, what I've seen is one thing is creating spaces for just even black people just to gather and talk about these issues that the black community is facing and also just to feel safe and, and provide employment opportunities. So th- those are some of the ways in which social enterprises can be used to address things like racism. I, I wonder if you could uh, weigh in on this. So there was some research that was pretty high profile a few years back where they found that companies that engaged in kind of like, you know, social justice and that were uh, willing to uh, kind of uh, put uh, social justice issues on uh, kind of the front burner, that they generally did in fact do well. But in cases when it didn't maybe uh, become as successful for that company, that in the case where it was a CEO that was a woman or uh, a person of color, that they tended to get pretty uh, uh, detrimentally impacted by that. They were fired ultimately, right? Oh no! <laughs> and I and I and I just wonder: is do you feel like that's different for uh, even for-profit businesses that have a social enterprise uh, kind of uh, uh, formation? Is that that because that kind of is the motivating drive for this business, are they willing to take more chances and engage more in even social justice endeavors that may not even be the focus of uh, why they originally started that, that enterprise? Yeah. So, oh, this is a, a testy topic, but a good question. <laughs> so there's a lot of things. So for social enterprises, for social entrepreneurs, it's important to know that you, you won't be able to work with everyone, right? So if you have particular core values for your organization, you can't just take money from anywhere. And so some people, some investors just will not be a good fit. But also one of the reasons why a lot of social enterprise specific laws have been developed in the last decade. Um, so there's the benefit corporation, the low profit limited liability company, and these companies are for profit they, re- they allow for for-profit businesses to have a social mission because what has happened in the past, I actually believe this happened to Timberland, is when um, they did have a CEO that um, had a strong passion for social good, sometimes the shareholders and the investors just didn't want to support that. And they're like, oh, you're spending a little too much time and money on this. And so we're just going to kick you out of the organization. And so what those laws have done is basically say, well, this is a, this is a primary focus of this for-profit business. And so that's why those laws even exist now. However, there's challenges with those laws as well because they're internally governed. So they're internally regulated. There's no um, government body saying you can't do this. It's just, if everybody in the company doesn't want to listen to the social mission, as long as they all agree, we're fine. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if there's still like the laws were created to address that issue, that problem, but there's still, it's still a growing field, I should say. <laughs> Laws with self-enforcement are always just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. yeah. A step in the right direction, but we need some enforcement. Yeah. So you referenced that uh, social enterprises, right, are, are used for community development. And, and you've also talked about in some of your work that they're also for human development. 
Can uh-huh. you help us understand what you mean by community development and human development? Yeah. So, and it could be two different ways of viewing um, social enterprises. And it, a lot of times it also differs by context. So for example, what I mean by community development is that some social enterprises are rooted, really, really rooted in their community, like the physical place and are really understanding of the local needs and the local resources that they can use to meet those needs. And almost having like a reciprocal relationship with the community, like we have volunteers, we have donors from this, and we are contributing something good. And um, I used to live in Vermont. And so I used to work at the University of Vermont and social enterprise is huge there. Um, And it's actually very unlike the rest of the United States in that way. Like the rest of the United States is very individualistic. But because of the cultural, like the history of Vermont and also the geographic landscape, you really have to live in a very community oriented way there. And so many of the organizations are just known that, yes, you may be a for-profit business, but you're probably going to donate some of that to charity. You're probably going to do something good. Like it's expected almost. Um, And it's almost, it's like everywhere. Like there's literally streets like Community Drive and um, this community organization, like the, the title community the word community is in many of the titles of the businesses there. And so um, in that sense, like a driver of community development, but also a driver of human development. So for example, I also used to live in Camden, New Jersey, um, where I met Ashley, <laughs> Dr. Nichols. And CK Cafe is one of my favorite social enterprises there. I love their food, um, but they have a whole program where that's dedicated to training um, homeless people and people that were formerly incarcerated to work in businesses. But then it's not just, uh, well, they train them to work in restaurants and then they actually have a referral program. So they refer them after they've completed the training to work in restaurants throughout South Jersey. And so they also have like dental services, um, like housing services. It's a holistic process for the human being um, meant to not just give you almost like not to treat the symptoms of the problems that you're facing, but the actual root causes and to give you a chance. And it's almost like a developmental approach where um, you're not, you're, you're really taking the time. It's not less about how many people we impact, but impacting one person or a few people very, very well or deeply. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that you talked a little bit earlier about your um, experiences as a child and, and especially living in, in, in a, in a, kind of impoverished area, but, but what kind of inspired you to do research around social enterprises that I, I guess I don't naturally think of uh, poverty research as <laughs> saying, oh, you know what, social enterprises, right? So what was it that kind of sparked your interest in this specific kind of uh, uh, topic? Yeah. So I think it was really, there's a lot of things. And so I think I'm a very community oriented person. I come from a a really close knit family and just was raised to always be thinking about relationships and like, whether it's my friendships and like, it's important to nurture your friendships. It's important to nurture your community. It's important to even be in a great and um, beautiful space. And so I always, when I look at the world, I'm really attracted to beautiful communities. And if a community isn't beautiful, how can we do that? So like, that's just naturally like the way that I think. And then it relates to social enterprises because I just saw them as a really, a really promising tool to alleviate a lot of the issues that communities face, but also in, in coming from a poor community and, and coming from an immigrant background where my family came to this country in order to prosper. <laughs> like that's the whole reason I was born here. <laughs> and so in that sense, if you think about social entrepreneurship, it's like, well, you have the potential to make 
lots of money as an entrepreneur, but you also have the potential to do good and live well and be contribute to your community. So it actually really ties into who I am as a human being. And, um, and so for, for that, like, I'm just in love with the whole field. Um, but also, you know, assessing its efficacy and whether or not it can be sustained, even in times like this, like, how do we support these organizations? How do we assess whether or not they're truly impactful and, um, and which ones are more impactful than others and why? And what problems are they better at addressing than others? So say a listener is really interested and they, they're they like, oh my goodness, I, I either had heard about this or I, or I didn't know all the details. Um, I'm, I'm inspired. How does someone either become involved with social enterprises in their area or engage with them? I mean, whether that's them as an entrepreneur or them as someone who wants to volunteer, uh, yes. donate to, to buy from these type of organizations. Can you, can you talk us through some of those ways of being a part of this, I suppose, movement? <laughs> so one way you can get involved is through, um, checking out the directory. So social enterprise directory.com and finding social enterprises that way. Also feel free to reach out to me, <laughs> rweaver at iona.edu and my contact information will be in the show notes. So I can always, you know, point you to, um, you know, in whatever direction that you need, but, you know, supporting literally purchasing power, start buying social. (laughs) It's actually a whole buy social movement. It's, It's more prevalent in other countries, but we need to make it better known and better. It needs to be a way of life in America, like buy social. We have so many major societal problems. And if we actually put our purchasing power behind organizations that were solving them, we could create really a massive change. And we might even inspire some other organizations that don't have a good track record of helping communities um, to do that. But also there's a lot of different careers. So you can work for a social enterprise um, if you believe in the movement. You don't always have to become a social entrepreneur. Uh, you can become a, a magazine editor. We need a major social enterprise a magazine. We have none. Start one. <laughs> Become a consultant, a policy analyst, an impact investor. So you can invest in social enterprises and and there's a variety of ways to do that. When my book comes out, get it because it talks about all of that. (laughs) Um, Grant writer. uh, Also, there are something called co-working spaces. So these co-working spaces are places where entrepreneurs gather and really share their ideas and work on their businesses. There's some for social entrepreneurs. So you can visit one of those and learn more about what they do and how to impact. But I would even say like donating and purchasing power. Those are the simplest ways. Also volunteering at a social enterprise could be huge. Touring one. Actually, one of a student that heard of my directory is starting a business that literally uses the directory to find social enterprises. And then she's going to just take people on tours of social enterprises and educate them about the topic. So how amazing. So you could even do that. (laughs) She's doing it in Boston and Vermont. So you can do it everywhere else. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. I would love to tour some of these. Now, uh, there's another place that has pretty deep pockets that I would think could support social enterprises and that's government. How, how does it, if they even do, how can Mm -hmm. (laughs) government support social enterprise um, in the goal of not just, right? Obviously it's, it's good to support these things no matter what, but Mm -hmm. there is, it seems like there's a lot of stability behind it as well. I I'm so, so happy you asked that question. That is, that's the the moneymaker right there, (laughs) the winning question, because Around the world, there is more or less social enterprises, uh, government support for social enterprises in certain areas. So in the European Union, for example, there is funding dedicated to research 
and the development and, and also more funding for social enterprises. So there's literally organizations that develop simply to fund social enterprises, to train aspiring social entrepreneurs, to just conduct research on social entrepreneurship. And this is happening in Europe, for example, in many different countries. In the United States, we have it's you know a very individualistic country and just like it's very individualistic we have different individuals that are doing things like this but if, uh, if government had a fund for social entrepreneurs for research for identifying them and seeing the the true impact because that was one of the goals of my directory was how many can i map in the united states but there's so many more that i still haven't even gotten to and so um how can we fund that? And how can we identify them? How can we assess the impact? So in my dissertation, I studied 115 social enterprises in depth, and they were helping over a million people. So just imagine if we could totally map all of the ones in the United States and assess the impact they're making and literally create a fund to like support their work or even training organizations that support their work. You don't have to necessarily fund social entrepreneurs, but how can you equip people, especially in, in communities like the one I grew up in, to find the opportunities and train them to address the problems in their community that not only help them come out of poverty or help them realize their goals, but then help the community as well. That's fantastic. My my last question is really just, I mean, we've covered so many things, right? Social entrepreneurship kind of framed as civic engagement, thinking about addressing um, social problems, filling gaps, ways to be involved. But are there any other things that we haven't talked about? Like any final words of wisdom that you want to share with our audience? Yeah. So I will leave you with my favorite quote. (laughs) Uh, It is that the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. So the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. So what I see with social entrepreneurs is that once again, the, the pattern is that they've seen the problem or they've experienced the problem and they decided it is now my problem. It's my problem to address this problem. And so they, regardless of what obstacles are in the way, regardless of resources that are needed, they will find the resources. They will overcome the obstacles, but their goal is to address these problems. So what I'll tell you is if you believe in yourself and if you believe that if there are particular issues that are important to you, you can be the change, you can address them. That's literally what the whole field is about. It's about being the change that you want to see in the world. And just know that you can. Dr. Weaver, it was so wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you so And I love what you're doing. I lo- This is an example of being the change, right? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy Podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and with me as always is my co-host, Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is produced by David Yursa and edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the show, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, swag, and more, head over to patreon.com forward slash growing democracy oh join us next time when we continue this conversation about filling the gaps